0: If you have your Bible with you, let's turn today to Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, then please get one of those black Bibles on the end of each pew. And if you don't have a Bible at all, then uh, keep that Bible. It's our gift to you. We want you to take it home and read it. Uh, Romans chapter 14. And today we're going to be in verses 5 through 9. Uh, we kind of got interrupted a little bit in the middle of uh, the sermon last time. It didn't quite get where we wanted to, so we'll pick up in verse 5 today. But let me go on and read for us, starting in verse 1 of Romans 14 all the way through verse 9. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Guys, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of you and me. He's the Lord of each one of us. And this is a call in this passage to remember, as we look around at each other, that Jesus is Lord over each and every person that we see and over our brothers and sisters in Christ. Ed, I think we still got a little bit of ringing are we all right? So one of the things that this makes me think of is the tendencies that I sometimes have, because I've been a father for 14 years now. Some of you guys have been fathers for a lot longer than that. But in those 14 years, um, it's been a pre- pretty perpetual time of, of having small children to care for. Uh, and And so I have this thing that I have to hold myself back from, which is parenting other people's small children. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but you kind of get, get in that zone, you get in that mode where uh, you, you know how to parent your own kids, or at least a little bit, you kind of at least get in a pattern of what you do, and, and calling them back from certain behaviors. And, and sometimes when I'm around other people's kids and they're acting out, my tendency, and I don't act on this too much, I have to hold myself back, my tendency is to want to jump in and be the parent for somebody else's kid and say, no, you can't do that. And I have to remind myself, wait a second, I have my own kids to parent. And this kid has their own parents to parent them. And that parent knows that kid so much better than I do. They know what that kid needs, or at least I hope they do. And, and it's not my job to do that. And when we talk about the fact that Jesus is Lord, one of the implications that's brought out here in Romans 14 for us is that Jesus is Lord over each one of us. And as we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes there's that feeling like, well, I just want to jump out and parent you. I just want to jump out and tell you exactly how you ought to be doing things. And in some ways, we have to do that i don't want to get i don't want to make it sound like this is a a message about just leaving each other alone about everything that's that if you, you put this the whole bible together it's a lot of passages about how we don't just leave each other alone about everything but there are some things where we say that person is doing it differently than i would and jesus would come and say i am their lord you are not their lord I am their Lord. And in particular, this passage has to do with the issues of how someone honors the Lord. Right? Now, if we see our brother or sister in Christ going into a pattern of not honoring the Lord, of being at peace with sin of having things come out of their mouths that that are derogatory toward God and His people. That's something where we can pretty clearly say, yeah, you know what, we we need to come together in love and admonish one another and, and correct each other and help each other see what is right. But the temptation sometimes, the temptation that's being spoken of here is the tendency to say, that person's trying really hard to honor God, but they're getting it wrong. And so therefore... I'm going to tell them they ought not to honor God like they want to honor God. They ought to honor God like I want to honor God. Last time we saw in particular he, the, the issue of eating or not eating. This had to do, and I won't repeat everything, but had to do with the issue that was common in the ancient world of meat sacrifice to idols. It was almost just a given that if you were going to pick up a piece of meat out of the meat market, that probably when that meat was slaughtered, that a portion was given to a false god offered to Zeus or something like that. And so there was this big concern on the part of Christians. Maybe we shouldn't eat meat at all. Maybe out of honor to the Lord, we should just stay away from all of it because maybe some of it is meat sacrificed to idols. And the Bible is making clear here, you know what, you absolutely should not eat at the table of demons. You should not eat meat in honor of idols, but you don't in Christ, you don't have to worry about whether every piece of bacon that you buy at the store was sacrificed or slaughtered in the right way you can just say this is something god has given me and you can eat it but there were those who who just had this deep conviction about that they said if i'm going to honor the lord this is how i'm going to do it i'm going to be a vegetarian for the lord now paul says that is the weak position He, he doesn't say it's equal to the the position of eating he says it's the weak position it would be better if they grew out of that but he says hey let them honor the lord Let them honor the Lord. You don't need to jump in and be the Lord of their conscience. Jesus is the Lord of the conscience. And so we're going to continue to look at that today, and we're going to start in verse 5 and look at the issue of days, but then continue on to, to the issue of the fact that each one of us belongs to the Lord. So this is something that I was hoping to get to last time, but we'll just cover it today, is a second issue that he brings up, which is uh, not just abstaining from meat, but also the observance of certain days. The observance of Jewish holidays and Jewish forms of Sabbaths out of honor of the Lord. He says in verse five, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord now what Paul doesn't do what the Bible does not do it does not say that we should tolerate someone who um, is in a position of of preaching that you must observe certain days in order to get your sins forgiven okay He, he he addresses that in Galatians 4 he says but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. See, what's happening there is Paul is saying, somebody who thinks that they must observe the Jewish ceremonial law, including the days that were built into it, such as Yom Kippur, which is tomorrow, if you didn't know, if you think to yourself, in order to follow the Jewish Savior Jesus, I must do all of the Jewish ceremonies and days, if that's the case, then he says, I'm afraid you're a lost person. So he's not talking here, when he says that there are some who esteem the day and should be fully convinced in his own mind, he is not talking about people who think that they must follow those ceremonies in order to be right with God. That's a denial of the gospel. How do you get right with God? By His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by anything that we could add on top of it. With any of our works or observances of any kind at all. And then there are others who observe the day in in such a way that maybe they're not actually thinking that they're going to get their sins more forgiven or that they have to, but they, they might observe it in a way that passes judgment on others. And he says in Colossians 2 not to do that. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now there's a question that comes up here. While we're saying that these things, these, these days and weeks and new moons and Sabbaths, that these things are shadows of the substance that points to Christ, there are some who would read that and say, well, therefore, Sunday, the Lord's Day, as it's called in the Scripture, is, is absolutely no different than any other day. Or they would say, well, therefore, the fourth commandment has been abolished the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now I'm going to argue, this is an argument, are you ready? I'm going I'm to say I don't think that that's what that's saying. And there's, there's several reasons for that. One is just because of the way that it's phrased there. It was a common phrase where it says festival or new moon or Sabbath in Colossians, where it was a common phrase that's talking about those Jewish ceremonial observances that had to do with the festivals. And even the, the statement Sabbath there would be something like what's going to happen tomorrow in the Jewish world, the day of Yom Kippur. That even though that's not a day that falls on a Saturday, it's a day where our school system here in Madawan is shut down. Because the, the, there's going to be this Sabbath day, this day of rest that is observed by those who are uh, observing this Jewish holiday. And so it seems to be something that's a a phrase that is encompassing those ceremonial regulations from the Jewish law. And when we have the New Testament, let me just mention here that that you see... Well, let me say some Old Testament things first, all right? One is this. In the creation account, in the creation account, not in the law, but in the creation account, it says that, that God rested on the seventh day. And, and it says in Exodus 20, Therefore, He made the Sabbath day holy and gave us this day of rest that, that we can partake in. It's something that was even before the Ten Commandments were given. It was expected of the Israelites in Exodus 16, which is four chapters before the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus 20. When Christ came, Jesus never said that He was abolishing Sabbath observance. He said that He is Lord of the Sabbath. He he didn't say when He confronted the Pharisees in the way that they observed the Sabbath, He never said, you need to quit observing the Sabbath. Or He never said, I'm going to get rid of the command to take one day in seven and set apart as gods as a day of rest. What He did is He said that they were observing it according to the rules of man and not according to the rules of God. What Jesus actually said is that Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. He presents it as something that's not to be a burden on people's backs, but it's supposed to be a gift to people. Not something that he would take away by his death and resurrection, but that he would sanctify and give us freedom in. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, it seems that he moved the day of rest from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. And how do we see that? Well, we see that partly because it's just the way that the church started operating immediately after Jesus rose from the dead. Why did they do that? Well, it's because on that first day of the week, that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And it's also the first day that Jesus came and met with his disciples. And the next time that Jesus came and met with his disciples, according to John, was on the next Sunday. The way that he phrases it is eight days later, and that's the way of counting the next sunday he came and met with them again he taught them immediately sunday is now the day that you come together and you meet with your lord and they understood this throughout the book of acts several times you see that they're coming together on the first day of the week in corinthians when you come and take an offering on the first day of the week he says in in acts 20 you see that on the first day of the week that they got together and, and they met for worship with paul preaching all the way past midnight. There has to be something about that day for for everybody to be willing to say, hey, let's stay past midnight for preaching. And even at the times when they weren't able to gather together. You have the the Apostle John in John chapter 1. What's he doing on the first day of the week? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then the Lord begins to show him these visions that we now call the book of Revelation. But he was counting that day as something that was set apart and special and a gift, the Lord's day. So just based on what we have throughout the Bible, from literally from Genesis to Revelation, I, I think that we're, we're still right to say, hey, the, that fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that's still something that God means today that we should still have one day out of seven set aside for rest in the Lord. And Jesus, by His resurrection, has moved it to the first day of the week. There are some who would point to, to Romans fourteen five and 6 and say, well, this means that there is no such day anymore, and yet it's funny that they still seem to feel guilty if they don't come to church on Sunday, don't they? E- even from those who say, well, there's no more Sabbath command... They still seem to think that there's something special about Easter. The day when we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, what is the day that we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead? Every Sunday. Those who say that there is no more Sabbath command, when they don't come to church, and then you ask them, hey, are we going to see you at church? The answer is never, I've decided that my day of worship is Thursday. They know there's something going on. Our consciences are pricked. We know that we shouldn't be putting Pharisaical kind of regulations on people about it. We're not promoting observing it like the Pharisees did, but it's just kind of there. That, hey, God has something about the first day of the week that we ought to prepare for and set aside for the Lord. But what this seems to be talking about here, what what is this talking about? Well, I think he's mainly talking about Jewish festival days and high holy days. Especially even those first and last days of the festivals, which were called Sabbaths, in addition to the weekly Sabbath. He might even be talking here about, about the way of, of keeping a Saturday Sabbath. Like it seems that even in the early church in Jerusalem, that they were still on that, those Saturdays, they were still going to the temple and, and still, you know, even there using that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And, and and there seems to be a question, you know, should should we keep going on Saturday to the temple and then Sunday to church? And some had kind of questions about this. Some had convictions about this that weren't really what God required of them, but they thought, well, to honor the Lord, I think I'm going to go ahead and observe Yom Kippur. Now, again, if they were doing that because they thought they had to observe Yom Kippur to get their sins forgiven, they were outside of Christ. But there are others who would say, I think I want to do this out of honor to the Lord. And Paul is saying, don't stop them. Let them honor the Lord according to their conscience. Let them honor the Lord according to their conscience. And all these things, we're to honor and thank the Lord. And that brings us, if you're following on your outline, to point number two, that we're honoring and thanking the Lord in these things. So he says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. He says that, that the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. That There needs to be this being fully convinced in each one's mind. Now, when he says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, we just have to remember, and I may have said this at the rush at the end of the last sermon, but I'll say it again. None of us is the Holy Spirit to each other. None of us is the Holy Spirit to each other. We must have a personal walk with God with personal convictions of how we would honor God, personal following of our conscience as we seek God's will in His Word and in prayer and through the ordinary means of grace. We need to walk with God with personal conviction. And when we have that personal conviction, we ought to have integrity in it and we ought to honor the Lord with it. It's kind of four categories that you might see in the Bible about these these questionable things. Should I or shouldn't I not do this thing in honor of the Lord? Whether it's abstaining from certain foods or abstaining from wine or observing certain days or, or various other issues that come up. There's four categories. One is, what if you're doing it to get your sins forgiven, to be justified before God? Well, if that's the case, you're outside the gospel. Don't do anything to get your sins forgiven. Trust in Jesus to forgive your sins. All right? Second category, though, is that maybe somebody could be doing something out of a sense of obligation. Even though they know that it's it's not what what would forgive their sins, they would just think, well, this is what I need to do to honor the Lord. I need to... I need to keep kosher. I need to observe Yom Kippur, even though I know it doesn't make me more right with God. That's the category of the weak brother that we're talking about here. They haven't grown in their faith enough to understand that that's not an obligation. But while it's still on their conscience, it's the right thing for them to do. That's what he's saying. There's a third category where there are some who would do it freely, but knowing that they're free not to do it. So th- this would be an example. You know, you, you have Paul who, who took on himself a Nazarite vow, for example. Or Paul who preached up and down that you do not need to accept circumcision. And, and in some cases, if anyone accepts circumcision, that they are outside of Christ because they're trying to be justified by it. And yet, he circumcised Timothy because he was free to do that and free not to do that. And he knew that. And you might even have the example of somebody like Pastor Baruch Mayoz, who came and, and preached here a couple of years ago, who is a Reformed Baptist pastor from a Jewish background who pastored a church in Israel for, for a few decades before retiring and, and moving to Washington State with his daughter. But I'm pretty sure that, that he and Braca are going to be observing tomorrow but observing in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that they're free not to observe as well. And that's all right. And then, and then there's a fourth category as well, which is that we can abstain from these things in faith. We, we can say, I don't have to keep kosher. I don't have to keep these days. I don't have to completely abstain from alcohol even though I'm avoiding drunkenness. All of these kinds of things, and you could go down the list of more issues, but, but just saying, hey in my freedom in Christ, I don't have to follow this regulation. And this says, praise God. There's even sometimes a strength of faith that's demonstrated in that. But the teaching here is each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You need to be fully convinced first and foremost about the Gospel. That the only thing that will get you right with God is the person of Jesus Christ. But then you need to be fully convinced in your own mind, of how it is that you honor the Lord. And he says that, that this is to be in honor of the Lord. Those who observe, observe in honor of the Lord. The one who abstains in honor of the Lord. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. At the beginning of the service, Rick read from us from uh, the book of Zechariah, where there had been this question that was posed should we continue to keep these particular fasts that we've been observing? It seems that they had had started um, this calendar of fasting while they were in exile in Babylon, and it wasn't a calendar of fasting that was required in the law of Moses, but they had been doing this out of out of a sense of honor to the Lord and and prayer for their return from exile, and, and God had brought them back from exile and so we we praise God for that, but their their question now was, "Well, do we keep on doing this, or should we stop but by that point, God brings a message of conviction to them, where he says essentially you 've gotten in such a pattern of doing this that you 're not doing it in honor of me anymore you 're just doing it you 're just going through the motions in fact he says when when you are when you are fasting you're not doing it in honor of me and when you're feasting you're not doing it on honor of me and you need to be doing everything in honor of me whether it's coming to church or whether it's going to sleep tonight or going to work or going on your run in the morning or whatever it is this is the teaching of of the lord whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God that's the teaching here everything that we do needs to be a presentation of our bodies to God as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to him which is your reasonable worship and in doing all of that that we need to be giving thanks he says the one who observes gives thanks the one who doesn't gives thanks he says and it says in 1 Thessalonians 5:18 that we can give thanks in all circumstances give thanks in all circumstances out of honor to the lord he then goes on and he expands this he says well this is this is so broad <clears throat> excuse me this is so broad this principle that we ought to be honoring the lord in everything that we do it's not just about whether you eat this meat or don't eat this meat It's not just about whether you observe this day or don't observe this day. This covers your whole life, and it covers your death. He says, in life and in death, every bit of you is for the Lord and not for yourself. That's what he says in in verse 7. He says, for none of us lives to himself, And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Guys, we are individually. You and I are individually accountable to the Lord. Now that accountability is just made even more serious by the fact that it's not just our living but even our dying that is to the Lord. Every single one of us is going to face God one day. And we need to keep that in mind in how we would live and how we would honor the Lord. We are not to live or to die to ourselves. Let's think about this a little bit. This idea of living to the Lord Dying to the Lord, none of it to ourselves. First thing I want to think through there, help us think through, is, is not living or dying to ourselves. That is, that living and dying for oneself, that is the default religion of the world around us. The main idol that you are going to find honored above all other gods in our culture, is the God of self. There are lots and lots and lots of things that compete for the glory of God, but none of them gets it more around us than the idol of self. You, you, you have this idea that you need to explore yourself, discover yourself, express yourself, affirm yourself, seek to get others to affirm your true self. Did you know that that's why transgenderism makes so much sense to so many people these days? It's because there was a prior understanding that got rooted in our culture, deeply rooted in our culture, that maybe has become even rooted in your own mind, that the exploration of who you feel yourself to be on the inside is an honorable thing. Whereas, God has said, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Guys, we were born depraved. If you are going to live to yourself, you're going to be living to sin. If you're going to live in such a way as to seek who you are in yourself and to satisfy the desires of your flesh, to promote yourself, to get people to recognize yourself and to praise yourself, you are honoring a false god. And it's you. And it's your sin nature. That's why he says, none of us who are in Christ. He says when none of us, he means Christians. None of us lives to himself. If you are a believer in Christ, you must leave that system behind and you will. The system of self. Your life is not about you. Your life is about Christ who is Lord. None of us lives to himself. By the way, if you want to know a little bit about how did we get to that point where everybody just thinks that promoting self is all the best thing, there's a a new book in our book note called Strange New World by Carl Truman, and it'll walk you through some of that philosophical intellectual history that got us to where we are right now. And it's bizarre, all right? But just wanted to mention that but do you know sometimes there are even people we hope that it's not us there are those who would even claim Christ and even be loud about it not out of honor for Christ but out of honor for self what do I mean by that I mentioned transgenderism That's obviously the the leftist thing that's really popular right now. Did you know that right now, there are some who the reason that they're opposing transgenderism is not out of honor for Christ, but because they want to express themselves. They want to express, well, I am the kind of person who has real sense I am the kind of person who will not get on board. I, I, me, 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 look at me. Now, I'm glad that they're standing for a cause that's right on one level, but do you know we need to search our hearts even when we say to ourselves, hey, I'm against that whole religion of self. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe in your following Christ on the outside, what you're trying to do is what some of the the members of the church at Corinth were were doing. To try to express themselves by saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And the Bible says, Stop looking at me. Look at Christ. Let's not just, let's not just get the right positions and do the right things. Let's from the heart die to self and live to Christ. Now, this living to the Lord, he says none of us lives to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. It's presented there as an objective fact for all who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're going to be living to the Lord. There's no such thing, there's no wiggle room here in this verse for those who would claim to have Jesus as their Savior, but not as their Lord. There, there are those out there who sometimes inoculate people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, giving them just a little bit of a dose so that they never worry about it again. They inoculate them by saying, if you say this prayer and really mean it, then Jesus will be your Savior. And maybe later down the road, you'll get things together and you'll make Jesus your Lord and you'll sh- start following Him and living to Him. You can't take a little section of Jesus for yourself and leave the rest behind. Jesus is the Christ. Christ means Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Who is anointed in the Old Testament? Well, it's prophets and it's priests and it's kings. And Jesus is all three. If you're going to accept Jesus as the Christ, you're accepting Him not just as your priest to forgive your sins, but saying, well, I'll leave behind your word. I don't have to listen to what you say to me as prophet Jesus. And I'll leave behind your lordship, your kingship over my life and over all things. I I just want my my get-out-of-hell-free card. I just want you as my priest, and maybe someday if I get really spiritual then I'll come to you as my prophet and my king as well. No, he says objectively here in this verse, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, you will recognize Jesus as Master, as Lord of your life, as your King. None of us lives to Himself. None of us dies to Himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. That is a fact for all who are in Christ. And it's also an encouragement that we must do that. You know, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we pray that, part of what we're asking for is that we would be doers of the will of God. Enthusiastic doers of the will of God. Not reluctant doers of the will of God, but doers of the will of God here on earth in the same way that the will of God is done in heaven by the angels who don't hesitate. They don't say, okay, God has said this, and I'll wait till next week to do it. God has said this, but I hate that He said this. But I'm going to begrudgingly do it anyway. No, He says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is something that we ought to press for in our own souls more and more, even as we have Christ as Lord, is to say I want to follow the commands of my Master. I want to live to my Master. I want to follow Him in good conscience as the context here teaches. But I want to follow Him. And I want to follow Him faithfully. I want to follow Him and obey Him in the big things, the big huge decisions of my life. I want to follow Him in the small things. What I do this afternoon. I want to live to the Lord. I want to follow Jesus. In my outward actions that people can see, I want to follow Jesus in my inward intentions. With each one of us being fully convinced in his own mind, it says, following God. We're to live unto the Lord. And it says, not even just to live unto the Lord, but to die unto the Lord. He says, This is how all encompassing following Christ is. I will eat, I will drink. I will not eat. I will not drink. I'll observe this day. I'll not observe this day. But guess what? I'm going to live and I'm going to die. And all of it is in honor of the Lord. Did you know that your death is in the Lord's hands? It's not in your hands. It's in the Lord's hands. God knew from before the foundation of the world the day that you would be conceived. God knew the day that you would be born. God knew before the foundation of the world the day that you would die. And it's a real calendar date that's somewhere when you scroll down your iPhone. For some of us, it might be sooner than we think. But if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Part of what this is saying that we ought never to disobey God, even if it would cost us our lives even if obedience to God would be something that would bring about our death, as it does, for example, for Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like North Korea or Afghanistan. He says, hey, we're going to live and die to the Lord. We ought not to, to disobey God in ways that would shorten our lives. We've got to leave it up to God when He would take us home. We ought not to disobey God in ways that would lengthen our lives. We leave it up to God when He would take us home. We're to obey God no matter the cost. Now you may find yourself in a situation where obedience to God is going to cost you. It might cost you a job. It might cost you a relationship. It might cost you money. It might cost you more. And Disobeying God just a little bit saying, okay, Jesus is Lord, but He died for my sins and so it's okay to just sin a little bit here so that I can have a better life and avoid all this trouble. He's saying here, it's not worth it. It is not worth it to sin. God is God in our life and in our death and we obey. We live to the Lord and we die to the Lord no matter the cost. That's why it says in in Revelation 12 of of those who persevere in their faith and even give up their lives out of faithfulness to God, he says, and they have conquered him, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. They lived to the Lord and died to the Lord. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross, which is an instrument of execution, to take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is not saying there, pursue martyrdom. Jesus is saying there on a daily basis, whether you're going to live or die, obey, follow me. Those who come to me as Savior will come to me as Lord and follow after me no matter the cost. That's the call. And you may say to yourself, well, that's just silly. It's just silly. We're not going to be winning in this world if we obey even if it costs us all of this stuff. Well, here's what it says in Romans 8.37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what? Even if following Jesus costs you your life, you are more than a conqueror through Him who loved you. And it will not separate you from His love. You love not your life even unto death. That's what we ought to say. Jesus is my only hope in life and death, and I will follow him. You know, God may will that some of us would have a violent death at the hands of persecutors. Seems a little unlikely right now, but we never know. God may will that you would be among those who would live an old life, a long life, and die at an old age peacefully in your sleep in a comfortable bed. Maybe it's anything in between those two things. But do you know what this is saying? It's in the Lord's hands. And we say, thy will be done. And I will live to the Lord. And I will die to the Lord. And I will know that Psalm 116, verse 15 is true, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of His saints. And on all of this, he says, So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. You're not mine. By God's grace, I get to be your pastor for a little while. You are the Lord's. Parents, your children are not yours. By God's grace, you get to have them as your children and to raise them in the ways of the Lord, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. But they are the Lord's. When we look around at each other, we have our brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't belong to us. They're the Lord's. And what a beautiful thing it is to know that He is our Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Each one of us, we have to remember this, we are ultimately accountable to the Lord alone. How is it that we're the Lord's? How is it that we belong to Jesus? Well, it's because He bought us with His blood. Body and soul... So what should we do with that? We've got to do things both actively and passively, knowing that we are the Lord's. We need to actively seek to honor the Lord because He's our Lord. And passively, we need to accept what the Lord would bring to us because we are the Lord's. We know that He loves us. We know that He will care for us. We know that all of His commands for us are perfect. And we know that all of His plans for us are perfect. If we trust in Christ, we are His, and He will care for us, and we can trust Him in life and in death. How is that possible? Well, it's because, as it says, He lived and died again. He says, He says, for to this end... Christ died and lived again that He might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. As Jesus died, which is an incredible thing to think about, He is the God-man. He is not only fully human, but also fully divine. Two natures in one person forever. He came and He humbled Himself for us. He was born under the law, born of a woman, He lived perfectly in our place. And He went and He died in our place to bear the punishment of the curses that we deserve for our sin. And He rose from the dead. You know, if we were to die for our own sins, we could never finish paying the eternal price of the wrath of God for our sin against Him. But Jesus the God-man could in one single act of righteousness, to be able to say it is finished and that Jesus paid it all. And He proved it on the third day when God raised Him from the dead. And what does that mean for us? He says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, referring to all of God's elect, all of those for whom Christ died, He says, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised And he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.10, He he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that means whether we live or die, that we might live with Him. Hmm. Jesus is the Lord of the living and the dead, it says. Or he says the dead and the living. When Jesus died and rose again, one of the effects of that that He announced to His disciples was this in Matthew 28.18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is Lord here. Jesus is Lord in heaven. Believer, you're not going to be more or less under the lordship of Jesus when you get to heaven. And you are not more or less under the lordship of Jesus right now on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so we can say with confidence, whether we live or die, we do it to the Lord. We are the Lord's. He says in in verse 9, To this end, Christ died and lived again, that He might be the Lord both of the living and the dead. You need to know this. He's Lord now while you live. He's going to be your Lord when you die. You don't see Him now. You will see Him face to face. And He will be your Lord. And you need to know this unbeliever. Unbeliever, you are in eternal danger right now in living to yourself. Maybe even you came to church today out of living for yourself, thinking, I'm going to prove that I'm a good person because I would come to church even when it's raining. You need to know that Acts 10.42 says that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. There is no one who will escape God's judgment. But for us who are in Christ, His judgment fell on Christ. We're going to talk next time when it gets to this this passage about each one of us giving an account of Himself to God. We're going to talk about what, what does that mean for all of us to stand before the judgment seat of God. But for now, you just need to know that He is the Lord of the living and the dead. He's the Lord of those who know that He's the Lord. He's the Lord of those who hate that He's the Lord. He's the Lord of those who believe that He doesn't exist. He's the Lord of those who trust in Him, and He's the Lord of those who trust in Himself. And not everything will be the same in eternity for everyone. And if you're going to stand before the judge of the living and the dead, you need to come to know Him now as the Savior of the living as the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead and trust in him so that you might live and die to the lord let's pray father thank you for your word we thank you for guiding us into all truth i pray that you would take these words of the scriptures that were breathed out by the holy spirit and i pray that you'd apply them to each and every heart by the power of the spirit father we want to be those who would help each other grow in Christ and hold each other accountable. And yet at the same time, you ultimately are each one of our judge individually. Each one of our Lord individually. And so God, I pray that you would help us to stand before you. Help us to walk with you personally. Help us, Lord, to do what is right, even if it costs us, as we would live to the Lord and die to the Lord. Father, I pray for those who right now are outside of Christ. I pray that they would hear that God will judge. I pray that they would hear that Christ is Lord of the dead and of the living. And I pray that those who are spiritually dead right now would hear the voice of Christ and live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.